You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show, episode 103, Wednesday, April 27, 2022. What's going on, Christina Dennis? Happy Wednesday, Damon Frank. Uh, just chilling out here in Orange County, eight in the morning. So not a whole lot just here. I'm loving it. How are yeah, you? Thrilled doing doing well. It is kind of a little foggy, uh, uh-huh. easy Wednesday morning in Los Angeles, California. And uh, I'm excited to be on the show today. Uh, this is going to be a really great show. Two mm-hmm. really jam-packed episodes. We got a really interesting guest uh, uh, coming up here in the first segment. Cannot wait, uh, to, to speak with him. And then we've got a great second segment for all of you codependents or (laughs) with, uh, active alcoholics and drug addicts in the family and, uh, need some help about how to deal with them. So hold tight if that's you, because the second segment is going to be all about that. Um, and just real quick before we begin, Christina, I wanted to thank everybody who is listening live on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we've got different people that are listening live, and we've had a lot of notes on Recovered Life about that. And so we would like to thank and welcome all the new people, even if even yes. people are listening new on the podcast. Yes, welcome. And before we jump in with Matt, I want to let everybody know the show's being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you, all of the viewers. Please continue to like, share, follow, support us, leave a comment so that we can keep bringing interesting topics to you. And also uh, visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can join the network for completely free and make a donation that allows us to continue to help others. That's info.recoveredlife.us. Yes. Thank you so much for mentioning that, Christina. Uh, Just also a little quick note too. I would like to thank all the people uh, on the Recovered Life discussions that we've been having four days a week on Clubhouse. They're now on the podcast. Yes. People have asked, how can they listen to these discussions if they didn't participate in them live? So we do now have them on recoveredlife.us. And if you subscribe to the podcast, you can listen to them as we go. We started the first one last week, which was a lot of fun for my unstuck room. We're adding another one tomorrow that's going to air tomorrow from your codependency room. Yes, uh, yes. Healthy boundaries today that you're that, that we're going to be having the discussion. So more on that uh, will be forthcoming, guys. So thanks so much for all the messages that we did receive on that. Hey, Christina, I know um, I know we talk a lot about journeys here. Yes. A lot about like getting sober and that early journey because people are interested in that because people that have been through it, it's a really you know, it's an interesting time in life, right? It's really an interesting time <laughs> because all these things are happening to you. All these awakenings are starting to happen. And then people who are in the middle of that are, are wanting to get sober going through that are super interested in those stories as well, because there's this anticipation, quite honestly, that things aren't going to work out okay. Oh, 
it's terrifying. I mean, interesting, I you know, great word, but I don't think it even covers it. The the transition when somebody is considering becoming sober and becoming sober is terrifying. And I think it's one of the main purposes we have here is to shed the light on it, to say that it's worth it. Um, uh, it is, getting sober is not a one-time event. It is a journey. And we need that community to be able to absolutely stay, yeah. stay in the fold. Absolutely. 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 And it really, it's really about the stories. We're so, I'm so happy. Uh, and we're going to bring, uh, we're going to bring into the show right now, Matt Gardner, who, uh, has a very interesting journey, uh, through alcohol addiction and recovery. So we'd like to welcome, uh, Matt to the show. How you Hi, doing, Matt. Matt? Hey, thanks for having me guys. I'm doing wonderful. I trust you guys are as well. Yes, yes. Excellent. How how is it in Canada? How is so, it? it? This is going to be a shocker to you. It's actually snowing right now. Even though it's <laughs> you know, wow. we, we always say here in Edmonton, you're until May long weekend, it can snow at any point. So it's kind wow. of that like mix of snow and rain, but there's snow in there. So I'm going to say it's snowing. <laughs> there you go. So there Matt, you go. we do know that reinventing yourself in Canada is a lot colder than reinventing yourself. In you Los Angeles. That. Yeah, you got that right. There's a lot more of a thawing out process. If you, you know I mean. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> well, Matt, we're so thrilled that you're on the show today. I know Thank you me. are a recovery coach and you had quite a journey yourself through alcohol addiction uh, into recovery. Definitely. And, you know, we wanted to talk with you about that today. You know, we always try to pick a theme and, and, you know, we, when I heard your story, I was like, wow, this is all really about reinvention. Mm. When, when did this whole journey start for you? Did you just wake up one day, Matt, and say, well, looks like I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity to tell my story first off. And you guys have a excellent show here. This is the standard for sure. This is the, easily the best, most smooth running. Just, I love it. I love what you guys are doing here. So thanks. Thanks again for having me. Uh, so my story, yeah, it'll begin, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just kind of glaze over the the beginnings of the the origins of my relationship with alcohol like many i think it'll resonate with a lot of folks uh my dad was a heavy drinker and mm. uh my my uncle on my mom's side so my my mom's brother was also a very heavy drinker so when my dad and my uncle would get together you know the five-year-old me would see this like th the volume would go up in the room it sounded very fun Right. And very, I'm like, oh, adults are, you know, it's, they're, they're almost like yelling at each other. They're, you know, cheersing their drinks and laughing at everything. I'm like, wow, this seems like quite the experience. So I would go in and, you know, of course they would give you the, Hey Matt, come over. You want to try a beer? And mm. you know, you have the, the first sip, I think was when I was five years old and do the bitter face, bitter beer face. And, you know, so that was kind of my, my initial, you know, uh, exposure to alcohol was like that. It's this thing that like brings people together and it's fun and it's exciting. So, you know, fast forward into my, uh, my teenage years, my, uh, my parents actually got divorced when I was 14 years old and I took it fairly rough as most, you know, as most kids do, but my, um, speak of my experience, I, I had a hard time with it. I was a shy kid. Uh, we started uh, high school. So it was grade eight through 12. There was no middle school and I was a very small kid. I didn't hit my growth spurt till about grade 10. So I was this kind of stunned looking, small, shy kid that was having some issues at home. And I was just kind of had a, a long face or whatever it may have been. So I was very much a target for bullying in high school. And so there was a, a degree of kind of getting through that because I, I wasn't able to get away from, you know, from this like sort of this pain that I was feeling at home and then going to school and then having to kind of face it there. So I was getting it from both sides. And, 
just was really internalizing a lot of it. So enter alcohol into the situation. Also, I, I want to mention that I, I got into music at the time. So music is a fantastic way for you to express yourself in a more abstract way and not be quite as vulnerable. I mean, you can still be vulnerable, but there's sort of layers of maybe fiction or, you know, um, you know, just a little more abstract than if you're just like writing in a journal, for example. So I definitely want to uh, suggest that uh, heavily to anybody that's, uh, you know, thinking about picking up an instrument. It's a great way for that. So I got into music. I got into drinking. Drinking for me uh, through my teenage years was definitely like the, you know, it puts your arm around me and goes, you know, you, you don't have to feel self-conscious anymore. Like, I got you. Don't worry about her. That girl that you're always shy to talk to, have a couple of drinks. You won't be shy anymore, right? So the initial relationship with alcohol was, by my perception, bringing me out of my shell, these mm -hmm. types of things, right? So uh, and you know, and that's where it starts, right? So then initially it's like, okay, it's like my best friend. It's, it's helping me. It's, it's, uh, it's an aid. And, you know, by the time I'm, you know, I say mid twenties, I actually hospitalized myself and actually age 27, uh, with acute pancreatitis. So by this point it had just had such a amount of time to just get out of control and you know how it can be for a lot of people for myself specifically, uh, it's sort of like an insidious relationship. It starts off, like I said, it's all rainbow and butterflies and it's helping me or so I perceive it to be. And, you know, fast forward 10 years later and it's really got its grips in me. It's this relationship that's taken a 180. It's very toxic, uh, but it's a gradual thing. I mean, that's over 10 years, right? Uh, by that point, I, I was a daily drinker. Uh, I'd had a rough breakup when I was 25. You know, you, you, you feel things a lot differently when you're younger. It's like your first big breakups like oh I will never find true love again and you know everything is so hard and you know so I was definitely using it as uh by that point I was using it as like a coping mechanism as well I mean as soon as you get into daily drinking yeah that's a, that's an issue for sure so to answer your question Damon that was my first time period where I was like wow okay this is a wake-up call like I've been getting some taps on the shoulder this was a big old smack to the back of the head like I was in the hospital for three days and um I would like to say that was what got me on the straight and narrow, but, uh, and I think a lot of listeners will be able to resonate with this. Um, you know, after three days of like staring up at the the ceiling of the hospital going, that's it. I'm, this is my big chance. I got a second chance at life here. No more drinks within 24 hours. I'd gotten out my, you know, my, uh, alcoholism brain was starting to cut deals already. That's going, well, you know what? It was rye that did that to you. If you stick to like the clear spirits, vodka, that won't, that won't put you back in the hospital or beer. Nobody ever gets hospitalized with beer. So that was the deal I cut myself. So within 24 hours of getting out of the hospital for three days, acute pancreatitis, I had a beer in my hand and it's just like just bizarre behavior, wow. right? Bizarre behavior. So I, I kept going with that for about, uh, I want to say another three years, 30 years old. I, I really truly hit my rock bottom just a lot of darkness and I was just seemingly attracting to it. I, I wanted off the ride. I didn't know how to get off the ride. So I was intentionally, I think subconsciously putting myself in these positions that I was failing at different things. And it was almost like this cry for help. I just didn't know how to do it or I, either that or I was too afraid to do it. Sure. So, I was, so I was putting myself in these situations where it was like physically doing things. Like I fell down a set of stairs and cracked my head open uh, you know, and these different things that were just like, man, I didn't know how to verbalize it. So I was kind of physically so, man, listening to that it can, you know, look, if you have gone into recovery or you are an alcoholic or you're suffering from any kind of addiction, people are going to really resonate with that, right? That story, mm. because that is the journey that a lot of people go on. 
you know, especially emotionally, the people, places and things might change. But, the you know, the emotions are very similar when people talk about getting sober. I Were you trying to reinvent yourself while you were drinking too because yeah. i know i did that that was yeah. one of the things it's like i'm gonna <laughs> keep reinventing my day you know but i kept getting back to the exact same place that i was Dude. at before yeah uh because i could never quite do anything as long as i was still drinking oh 100 actually you know what that's that's a that's a great way of phrasing it damon i've never actually heard somebody articulate it like that it's 100 because you know how it is especially after you get a few beer in you it's like you solve all the world's problems especially yes. your own and then you wake up the next day, you're like, oh man, like what, what was that again? What was I thinking? And, uh, you know, and then taking action on it when you're on the backside of it, when you're not feeling as good, when you're hung over, seems very daunting. And the right. only thing that's going to kind of get you back in that state of mind is continue the, the, the drinking. So absolutely. Yeah. I, I had, it's so funny. Eh? It's like, I, there's a quote somewhere along the line where it says like, you can't solve the problem with the same energy that created it. And it was very much that I was very, but to your point, Damon, absolutely. I would say like a couple times a week, I was going through different things. I was journaling. I was writing music about it. I had this idea of becoming this Phoenix coming out of the ashes. But in the meantime, I was using drinking to come up with these ideas. And yeah, absolutely. I was finding myself in the exact same spot time after time. Did you, um, did your relationship suffer? Because I think that that's always a pretty good indication. And I know for myself, um, I had relationships with other people that drank like I did. Otherwise mm. it was impossible for me to really connect with somebody. Like I wasn't able to actually have deeper conversations with people. And, uh, I'm curious what actually did make you say, okay, this is it. Um, I don't have another reinvention that includes alcohol in me. Yeah, it was right around that time. So like when I was getting into my, the rock bottom moment and to your, uh, to your, for, to answer your question, Christina, yeah, it did affect my relationship. So my, uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, we were both just heavy partiers, right? So you she was five years younger than me mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's what, yeah, we, we ended up separating. We're, we're together again now it's been, uh, you know, going on 16 years, but we had a two year period where we had broken up. And that was right in the right in this uh, moment that I'm speaking of, and 100%. Yeah, by that time the uh, the alcohol had really turned on the both of us. Right? It's like you can't have a fully functional, healthy, long term relationship when there's substances, specifically alcohol, involved. And so that's where, yeah, absolutely, it reached that that point where it was just okay. This is not working as a relationship, and it's certainly not working as me. I'm not happy with myself anymore. So that's where it was. I had to figure out a way to stop this to start to have, find a tourniquet right away. So I ended up going to my first AA meeting with a friend of mine, Brent. And that's where the reinvention truly started. Uh, mm. That meeting literally changed my life and uh, led me into three plus years of sobriety. And it was just, um, just an amazing experience. It was for me, I went with one of my best friends who had had a falling out with, again, because of uh, alcohol. And I'd reached out to him because he had cleaned himself up. And I said, you know what? You're, I know you're going to these AA meetings, NA meetings and such. Do you mind taking me to one of these? And he said, of course. And, you know, that was kind of our, our bridge or like the olive branch. And it was like, wow. So we hadn't, me and him hadn't talked in a while either. And, and his name's Brent. And he, uh, he took me there. And I remember as soon as we sat down, and the, the first gentleman started sharing, I literally felt a weight come off my shoulders. Like I've never mm -hmm. felt anything like it and started kind of tearing up. And just, there was like this calming feeling that came over. I've never experienced anything like it. And that, at that point I was like, man, this is where I need to be. This is what I needed to hear. And it was such a profound instant shift in me 
that sustained itself for the better part of, you know, a little over three years. And then of course my ego uh, crept back in. So we can get into that after, if you guys have any questions or follow-ups on that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Relapse can be part of the story. I'm sorry, Damon, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say on Christina's uh, question here that she had, I wanted to elaborate on that. Like, yeah. so you hit this rock bottom, you have this, you have this thing, you realize it's like, okay, I'm not going to be able to go through and do this any longer drinking, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, many people say, well, that's the scary part because then what am I going to be if yeah. I'm no longer that? Even though that's yeah. bad, right. what am I going to really become if I'm not that, right? Totally. So how did you like dig deep and try to figure out how to kind of piece back and reinvent your life? Because your life now and what you do and what you do for a living has, has changed quite a mm. bit, right? Oh, an immense amount. So, so what I did, and it, like, this is where it really gets into, and you know, it's, it's a cliche for a reason, you know, it's like one moment at a time, one day at a time, one emotion at a time. Because I, and we, and we were joking about the other thawing out. That's what it was. I had this big ball of emotional energy inside of me that I had been kept repressing and pushing down and keeping contained. And I was allowing it. I was finally allowing it to come up and, and address these, address the, the feelings, right. And allowing them. And so that's, that's where it really came from. That's where it started. And, uh, yeah, that's what it is. So what basically what I did is I took, uh, I was granted five weeks off of work. I went, I just came clean to my, my store manager, my boss and said, you know what, I, I gotta, I gotta get some time to myself to clean up. And that's what I did. Uh, I would like to say it was instantaneous, but the first two of the five weeks I was still drinking. And then that mm -hmm. AA meeting I spoke of was basically smack dab in the middle. And then I went and visited my brother. He lives in Vancouver, a beautiful city. Uh, he's just in Western Canada, the Western coastline. And I uh, visited him for about 10 days. Just got out of my environment, right? Changed my environment. Went to the AA meetings down there. He just so happened to be about a block away from a, a really great AA meeting that happened every day at noon. Got to, you know, walk the waterfront. Really got into this process of like allowing myself and just kind of spending some time with myself and sitting with myself, getting into yoga. I started working out every day because I, for me, it's, you have to replace the energy very quickly. All the energy that you've been using for like hiding and manipulating mm -hmm. and all this extra, and it takes a lot of energy. Let's face it to be, uh, you know, to, to be a big, like a daily drinker. It's a lot of energy. So I needed something very quickly. It's like the Indiana Jones thing where you, you switch, uh, switch one thing for the next really quickly. And, and so that was what I did. Um, and you know what the, uh, the working outside of things I got to say is great for the physical side, but honestly, I much enjoy, I much preferred it for the mental side. Cause it finally was giving me this, like, you know, whatever brain chemistry occurs when you're uh, working out. It gave me this like confidence again. I, I kind of felt my 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 swagger come back, my natural swagger, as opposed to using the uh, the liquid courage or the liquid swagger, right? So that was it for me. It was like this sort of holistic approach, and it was an, it was an allowance. It was there was a surrender involved, uh, you know, and that's what I. It's, it's the most challenging to, to hang on to that because then your your ego structure, your this your persona does start coming back and wanting to like get its you know it's its clutches on this like new identity that you're creating or that you're rediscovering so yeah that was uh that was the initial uh to answer your guys question the initial rediscovery uh and you know reinvention was very much that was just being was a, a sense of allowance and getting into replacing that energy with uh working out and getting into like some meditation and yoga and journaling and those types of things and the travel was a big one for me as well wow i love that your boss 
went ahead and 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 yeah. gave you the five weeks. And yeah. one of one of Recovered Life's mission is to really bring alcoholism out of the shadows mm. so that people can understand that it takes everyone to address this. I mean, it truly, truly does. Was your family supportive? Absolutely. And you know what? That's a great, you know, Christina, that's a great thing to bring up because we were you guys were talking about it. And, you know, in the preamble at the beginning, there is a lot of people that are afraid at the beginning mm -hmm. of their sobriety for these reasons. And it's, I think it's more often than not, from my experience, a hundred percent of people were supportive. Everybody, Beautiful. even my, even my drinking buddies, they were like, you know, I'm proud of you. And I wasn't expecting that, right? Because there, I thought that they thought that they'd be losing a friend or, you know, you have these perceptions of like, everything's going to change and nobody's going to like you because you're boring or, you know, and, and it's all just an illusion. Like I, that, and this is my experience. I mean, it's, I'm not going to tell you how to think, but, but for me, it was a hundred percent. Yeah. To answer your question, my boss, I was terrified to tell him, I thought he was going to just be like, man, you disappointed the team. I don't want to give you this time. You got to figure this out for yourself. If you don't, you're mm -hmm. going to get fired. You know, you know, your, your brain goes through all these different things. Right. I thought it was the end of the road for me. I thought I was going to have to quit. Right. And, and, uh, you know, and he was a guy I looked up to, I still look up to him and, you know, I, I just, just quit my job. This is the same job I'd had 23 years. I just quit it a couple months ago and I reached out to him. I said, you know what? And this is a good 10, 12 years ago. I said, you know what? Thank you for believing in me in a time you know, I'm going to get emotional saying it. Thank you for believing me in a time that I didn't believe in myself, you know, and yeah. it's huge. That was pivotal. And then for family, for sure. I mean, they, you know, I, with family, there's going to be like, uh, you know, there's a bit of a collapsed distinction between like worry and love. They show yeah. their, their, their love by worrying about you, which I understand. So I was kind of concerned about that. Cause that gets me a little bit, you know, emotional too. And I don't want them to worry. Uh, but honestly, it wasn't, again, that wasn't, that was just something I made up in my head by the time it was time to come clean. Uh, I think everybody's ready. I, you know, you, you think that you're a little more sneaky than you are as far as hiding your drinking and all that. And you know, I think people know they, they can, they can yes. tell, right. So they, they, uh, they knew for a while, uh, maybe not quite to the extent, but they had a, they had a pretty good idea. And so actually my mom flew out, uh, and helped me kind of get my initial, uh, you know, start on that five weeks off. She can't, she flew up from uh, BC and helped me kind of get my, my, you know, what together. So a huge, huge love to my mom for that as well. So Matt, a uh, question for you. I know that yeah. a lot of people that when they're in this position, there's just this tremendous amount of fear that like mm. we were talking about before. Like if I give up drinking, then who am I going to become? Right? Like what's actually really going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And there's so much fear now that you work, now you've made this transition. You actually are coaching. You're working with people in their whole transition of, of getting and staying sober. What do you think that the big breakthrough moment with most people are that where they say, Oh my God, this is possible. Have you found that there's like a combination of things that need to happen for people to have that breakthrough? Definitely. Yeah. Combination is the right word. Cause it's, it's, and it's, it's sort of like a recipe. It's like uh, different things for different people. Right. But there, there's not going to be one thing that will just get you through it. I say this, it's not going to be willpower. A lot of people initially try willpower. I tried willpower dozens of times. Right. And you can't like willpower is great and it's good to have it. It's a good thing to have in your tool toolkit, but it's not going to be the only thing that's going to get you through. And if it does, it'll be, it won't be sustainable. It'll be, you know, eight months, a year, maybe you can get through it, but it's going to be white knuckling and you're going to have that like dry alcoholic kind of persona, you know, like, uh, which is not 
what anybody wants, <laughs> I wouldn't think. And um, but yeah, absolutely. A combination. I'd say one of the the main things is the connection. I remember, I know there's a TED talk out there, and it has something of similar uh, name to the opposite of addiction is connection. It's not recovery. It's it's connection, and it's this uh, and that's connection with yourself as well. But I, what I'm talking about specifically is, and you guys were, were were talking a little bit about it as well, and the community that you guys have. It's a community. It's a feeling for me. As soon as I got in a room full of like-minded people that are on different stages of their recovery, it just, it hit me in such a way that profoundly changed me physically and mentally very quickly. I'm with you. Absolutely. I know that when I made it to my first 12-step group, I felt like I was home for the first time. And it was something that I didn't anticipate, you know, with my alcoholism. I thought what ostracized me was going to uh, keep me on the outskirts. Like it was just done for me. And now I know uh, after that first initial meeting and I felt like I was with my people that for the first time I actually had a group of people around me that I could connect with. And I, I didn't anticipate that. And I think it's so good that you share that because people need to know that they can do it and they absolutely do not have to do it alone. Mm, absolutely. No, well put, well put. And one of the other things that comes out of it too is um, when you start hearing other people's stories, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like it energizes you. It's like, okay, it truly is like this empathetic experience. There's so many similarities. And there's almost like you can add a little bit of humor into it, right? You can let your guard down a bit. Go, oh, that, you know, that's totally me. And yeah. so it, it's the most, that's the, the, the one thing that I really like about this whole, like dealing in recovery and all that. It's like this duality, the yin yang of like some of the darkest, deepest areas that you have to explore about yourself with a, with some humor added in there too. Cause it's like, oh man, I, what was I thinking? You know? And then the other person's like, yeah, that's me. Right. And mm -hmm. there's this like identification. You have this like mirror system and the support and the vibration that you can get from just being honest and, and truly feeling like you're tapping into yourself genuinely and sharing yourself and putting yourself out there and being accepted unconditionally. What a wonderful yeah. feeling that is. And yeah, Christine, I totally, you know, resonate with what you're saying of like, I was not expecting that at all either. I don't know what I was expecting, uh, but I was not expecting the the transformation and the reinvention that occurred from simply from meeting people, like-minded people, right? And But it's, wow, what a profound thing it is. Well, I think, you know, Matt, one of the things, I'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show because uh, like hearing your story, it's great. And then now that you're working with others, and I think, you know, the big thing that I get from any kind of reinvention story that I hear is and and looking back in my own reinvention i've had to reinvent myself several times in recovery that i wish i would have just enjoyed the ride a little bit more mm. I, I i thought so much right i was so nervous about well what if this happens what if that happens mm. and looking back now when i'm at a point in my life where i feel that i need to reinvent myself and let's be honest i think one of the things if you choose recovery you're going to constantly have to reinvent yourself yeah. in different areas of your life for the rest of your life. That's just part of the deal I find Absolutely. with recovery. But I wish I would have just kind of relaxed a bit mm. and enjoyed the ride. And, and, you know, because I've always been taken care of at the end of the day. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's, and you know, it's when you're in the heat of the moment, 
it is it is challenging and it's like it's i think there is a the, those mental structures that come up and want to control things have the need to you know okay this has got to be this way and i have this expectation and all that for sure it's uh and that was where i got into to issues coming out of that uh damon was the um was when I, when I, that mindset kind of shifted back to like my when my my normal brain came back online but there was that initial grace period and i use grace very intentionally of just just kind of going with the flow and and that was the most enjoyable part of it and that was the foundation that set me up for that full you know three plus years was to your point like i did just i was just along for the ride at that point and that was because i had that time away from work as well it was very challenging to go back into work even though i'd had that three weeks off to integrate what i had learned about myself and everything that was very challenging because mm -hmm. there's so many triggers mm -hmm. and reactions ready there to test you so you have to just kind of take it you know in 10 minute intervals okay this next 10 minutes i'm just going to focus on you know myself i'm just going to focus on my breathing i'm not going to be super reactionary so you know there's that's a whole different conversation but um yeah for sure that's uh that can be challenging like you say it's enjoying the ride but ultimately knowing yes you're in good hands and it always works out you know to paraphrase what you just said as well damon you bet Matt, thank you so much for coming mm. on to the Recovered Life Show. It's thank been you uh, such a pleasure to get to know you, and we hope that you come back. Um, if Love people want to know more about you and more about your work and what you do in transformation, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks. Thanks again, guys. Awesome show. Really, uh, really appreciate the opportunity today. Uh, so I'm on Instagram. It's recoveryroadmap.me. And it'll say it's got my smiling face and Matt Gardner on there. So you can find me Instagram. I'm on there a fair bit. Also, my website is uh, recoveryroadmap.me. So that's my uh, my whole program I've uh, developed. And for those folks in early sobriety, and I'd love to hear from you, it's a, it's a very fun program. It's very uh, sort of active and and uh, it's a community-based program. And, uh, you know, I also do some one-on-one -on -one coaching with you. So I would love to hear your story. I also have a podcast I just started up called Beyond Recovery which is on all the different platforms and just uh, just interviewing folks about, uh, you know, their recovery journeys. And, uh, you know, that's 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 basically the, the, the trifecta of where to find me. So, Matt, thank you so much uh, for thank coming on the show today. Thank you. thank you, guys. Thank you. Have a beautiful snowy day. <laughs> yes. Right. We're back to that. Well, that was such a great segment hearing Matt's story and what's going on with him. And I know a lot of people related to that, Christina. Uh, for sure. For sure. I mean, it, it's so interesting, no matter what you look like, where you, where you came from, how much we have in common when we um, have to overcome addiction. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, really, this whole idea of reinventing yourself is I love it, honestly, like it's something that I was very uncomfortable with at first in early recovery, but I really, really love it because I think that's actually the fun part about it is that we're not the same yes. all the time, right? We reinvent ourselves so we can continually grow and do the deal. Speaking of doing the deal, Christina, Recovered Life Discussions, before we go on to the next segment here, I wanted to kind of mention that Recovered Life Discussions is something that takes place four times a week mm -hmm. uh, at 9 a.m. And we host these discussions on Clubhouse and they're re-aired on our podcast. So I'd like to invite people that if they want to come to one of these discussions, how you find out about them really easy is you join the Recovered Life Network, which yes. you can do totally for free. It takes less than a minute to join. You're going to get really access to amazing people 
uh, just like Matt, like Christina, myself, and a bunch of other Recovered Life contributors. So definitely join us at recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. So Christina, good episode, good segment coming up next. Good segment. What are we talking about? Drama, oh. family drama. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My favorite. All Absolutely. Right. So guys, we're going to be coming up uh, next episode. Uh, next segment coming up after this small little break. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. All right. Welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Uh, we have a wonderful discussion coming up. But before we do that, I want to remind everyone that this show is being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors like myself and others and people like you. And this is very much a community. Please like, share, follow, and leave us a comment so that we can keep uh, bringing you information and stories that you enjoy. Also visit info.recoveredlife.us. You can nation, which allows us to keep helping others. That is info.recoverlife.us. All yep, right. But others is what this is all about. Christina Dennis. It's it what is, this is all about, right. It's it about is. trying to spread that word of recovery. And, you know, look, what we've learned in recovery is that there's different paths, different ways. And we like to highlight that on the show by highlighting people and access to recovered life contributors like yourself that are you know, in there doing the deal day to day, helping people day to day, and also staying sober yourself. And I got to tell you, I'm in a little, I'm going to do the little uh, announcement bump for this, uh, for the segment, because this is, okay. Good. this is a good one. And I know you picked this topic because you had read an article and I'll let you go into the details of where you found this, but sure. the whole topic here in this next segment is how to deal with an addict in the family. And I know people are listening to this that maybe was that addict that they're talking that we're going to be talking about now, or maybe you've got somebody in your family. I know that I have, even though you're sober, doesn't mean that everybody else is going to get sober. So, so true. And, you know, I loved this article. I'm looking for the page where I found it. Um, and what I would say to anybody is this is a really good step-by-step -step program on how to move forward. Once you have identified or are concerned about somebody's drinking, you know, where do we go from that? And yeah. as an interventionist, this I thought spelled out a really nice kind of succinct methods that we can do because we are not powerless. And one of the misdemeanors that I think is still out there is that people have to hit a bottom and want to quit drinking. And I believed it for years until I started studying to be an interventionist and saw the data. And so the first step on how to deal with somebody who is addicted is to educate yourself. And even if you are in a 12-step program because you're in recovery, they mention, you know, Al-Anon, Narconon, Alateen, and these are wonderful programs for the family member to start attending. And I always- So just, uh, just to interject here, Christine, the they that we're talking about is this article from the Addiction Education Society, which yes. I've also brought up on screen here. So people can see it just uh, just because I wanted to give them credit. We're going to put a link uh, in the show notes to this because it's a really great article. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> That's OK. I'm glad that you could do that because I couldn't find it in this second. 
I love um, that the first thing out of the gate is to educate yourself and to become, because, you know, we know, and we've talked about it before, people who don't have addiction problems are, you know, mystified by the fact that, you know, we continue to consume something that has cost us so much. And what is beautiful about joining it, and I highly recommend it for everyone who's like I said, even in recovery themselves, for them to attend a 12-step group that can deal with this specifically. And so yeah. the whole family needs to be involved as an intervention. Well, this, this is the is key with the, yeah, the key with the key, I think also with the education part of it is that, you know, you have to educate yourself about what addiction is all about and what they're going through. Because I think so many people and this is the big thing that I think kills so many people that are trying to get sober. They're maybe even trying to get sober, but they're around a family structure who think that this has everything to do with willpower and character. Yes. And it really has very little to do with willpower, except for willpower is killing them, right? Like, so right. willpower is killing the addicted person. Uh, but yet that's the thing that comes out of most people's mouth when they say, hey, just white knuckle it, just stop, like uh, double down. It's like you're just not using your willpower to 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 try to get out of your addicted state. Right. And just just stop at one. That's my favorite. Just stop at one or two. And until you take the time to educate yourself, you won't understand how impossible that direction is. And as an interventionist, we always start with the family member. The other tendency is to believe that it's the addict's problem only. And as we continue to learn about the brain, we learn about family systems, you realize that the whole family needs to address the problems that they have within themselves, as well as the addict getting so. And I, I just think that's super important. The next one is to seek professional help and, and support systems. And that means learning a little bit about the services that are available to you, either a rehab facilitation, what kind of benefits that you have, really, really doing that footwork so that when you approach the addict, you have some solution. And it's important to make sure that, I mean, alcoholism is serious business, like a serious problem. And it can easily kill somebody. And it does kill people, many, yeah. many people every year. And so it it needs to be addressed by somebody who has a facility ready. Well, this is the thing, you know, I think so many people say that they're going to make a self-intervention, which sometimes is appropriate, right? Maybe yeah. it's a, a, a child or it's a family member or a friend that you're close to. They want to make that self-intervention which sometimes can be very successful. But you know what I found out a lot is that one of the biggest mistakes when people try to intervene and help people is they have no solution. Right. Obviously, deep down inside, the addicted person, right? If you're an alcoholic or drug addict or you have any other kind of addiction, deep down inside, you know, look, you'd probably choose to quit because you see the ramifications. By the time somebody intervenes, Christina, I, I always say, look, there is a ton of evidence and that person already knows that they're kind of on the run from yes. trying to hide things. But going to somebody and saying, you need to make this massive life change, but we have no idea how, to, how you're going to do it. And you haven't been successful in the past. It's just such, I, I find it to be not only a waste of time, it's counterproductive in helping get yes. people sober. Yes, it actually can and will hurt the chances of the person actually getting sober. And, and so I love that they direct 
And, you know, that's something that I do, you know, as a profession and know how important it is to do that footwork and have it ready so that when the addict comes to a place where they go, okay, I'm all out of ideas, you can actually get them there. Now, the kind of intervention I do is an open intervention. So it's not at all about getcha, you know, like the old TV show where there's a bunch of people in a room and they are absolutely, you know, you know, ganging up on that one individual. But it is, um, it's much more successful, you know, statistically, if you can approach it as a family and you have to approach it as a family. Because well, I think it's, yeah, it's also to the it's also an intervention doesn't need to be this big dramatic thing like you were talking about on TV, like you see on no. TV, that show intervention, where yes. it's like all of a sudden people are running in, in and out of hotel rooms and there's drama and all this sort of stuff. It doesn't it could actually just be a series of conversations with somebody yes. about like, is this really how you want to live your life? Or is this really what that you had planned? Do you want to get, try to get out of this? Do you want, right? It could be a series of conversations of what's going on with that person. It doesn't have to be, I love how you just put it. It doesn't have to be this big dramatic thing. It doesn't. And you have actually more success you know, statistically, if it is not, I do know in some cases, you know, with parents and such where they have a little more control over the person that needs to be, you know, needs to have an intervention that sometimes that makes more sense. But in most cases, having a really open conversation and an understanding that everybody is going to address this you know, that the addict is is working on their sobriety, working on their physical sobriety. And while they're doing it, the family is working on the systems that allowed it. And you can't do that without a plan. You really have to have a plan. And interventions are actually very successful uh, when you go outside of yourself. And it doesn't have to be necessarily an interventionist, but a third party that can kind of help move the entire family unit in one direction. And yeah. so I always ask people, you know, consider this. Uh, we know from you know, 12 steps and that wonderful big book, you know, that one alcoholic talking to another can do a lot more, uh, a lot, have a lot more success than necessarily a fam family member who doesn't understand yeah. the problem. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things is instead of ultimatums, uh, you know, and this gets back to how to deal with an addict in the family, ultimatums typically do not work. Right. I, I, no. I find that like, especially these crazy things. And I think, uh, one of the issues is, is that it always comes in this ultimatum, bad mm -hmm. interventions, right? Yes. Dealing with family members. And we're talking intervention. Again, we're not, it could just be a conversation, a family yes. conversation or a conversation yes. with this person. Is that the approach, uh, the approach to the person has a lot to do with it. Now we know this interventionist, Brian O'Shea, yes. who has been on the show several times and we've done a lot of stuff with, and one of his big taglines is, what is it, Christina? It's like, I would, I, 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 re I request that you, yeah. uh, <laughs> I request that you consider, consider the possibility, consider the possibility <laughs> that this could be happening. And I love that because it's not coming at you and saying, Hey, you can't stop drinking or drinking's hurting your life. Right? right. Or, Hey, this is the fifth job that's fired you in the last three months. Right. Yes. Um, it's, it's actually, would you consider that maybe mm -hmm. this isn't, the optimal thing yes. for you, right? Yeah, and, and, and I love that because there's space there for the person to fill in their own conclusion. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And start to believe that they do have some autonomy, you know, and that they can have a life of autonomy because you and I both know when you're in the throes of addiction, you're imprisoned by it. It isn't something that you necessarily crave or want um, in your life, but we just don't know that there's another way. Um, one thing that you brought up is, you know, ultimatums. And I think that we can't have this conversation without discussing boundaries and boundaries need to be enforceable and they absolutely cannot come with an ultimatum, but it is important with the family structure or let's say your spouse that you have thought about what, you know, if the person continues to drink alcoholically is going to be your participation in that, you know, not enabling the addict to continue killing themselves, which is what they're doing. And what does that look like? And if you, um, throw out an ultimatum without the ability to actually back it up. You know, if you have not thought it through, then the, the addict will not take it seriously. And there's, yes. that gives them just one more chance to get out there and kill themselves one more time. And so well, it's not yeah. a, it's not a rash decision. Well, I think that's the, I think we could have even named this how not to deal <laughs> with an addict in the family. Right. Because what I find is, is that if you look at, like just from coaching, Christina, if you look at things that, you know, after the person got it and there was a lot of wreckage in the whole intervention process with family and friends, what you find out, there's a lot of ultimatums mm -hmm. and, de and unrealistic demands yes. with zero solution. Yes. Right. And, and this, and this, e this equals chaos because- sure the person feel the person that's being intervened on is much more they now they feel trapped. So they've gone from a situation where they're kind of admitting or kind mm -hmm. of realizing that things aren't working out for them and this, that this isn't working for them. Yes. But I think that the, you know, the big, the big thing that I think that most people don't understand, especially if you're dealing with a family member, that's an addict and you're not an addict, if you do not have addiction problems or have never recovered from addiction problems, is that they don't understand that they're not seeing it the same way. They don't see like, look, I, I mean, I'll just talk about myself and you and I'd love your opinion on this is like, I, I didn't really see that alcohol was a problem for me. I didn't see it like that. I thought everything else was the problem and alcohol was the solution. So true. And the idea of living without this thing that's keeping me going seemed impossible. You might as well have been telling, telling me that you need to learn how to breathe underwater. It just didn't seem possible. And it, it wasn't until I attended my first uh, 12 step group. And I entered into an outpatient, which I'm so grateful for because I had this extra support and it came through an employee assistance program. Uh, it's it, that I actually understood that there were people who thought like I did about this. And, you know, the physical sobriety can't be underestimated in this as well. So when you are approaching a family member who's been drinking alcoholically, you have to remember they don't have access to the neural pathways that will help them make a decision. And just like you wouldn't scream or yell or give an ultimatum to somebody who has uh, a disease, you know, how dare you be diabetic? You That is basically the same thing when people start shaming an alcoholic for being an alcoholic. And it, and 
you know, as I say this, I want to also reiterate, we still have to have very strong boundaries and our plan if uh, the alcoholic chooses not to go through with sobriety. Yeah. And I think the boundaries are really good. You know, I think we always talk about this on the coaching side of it, Christina, that rarely, you know, I think people come into these families come into this and I'm talking about the non recovered family members, right? Gotcha. Come into this saying that it's all has to do with this person and that if only they'd get better, things are going to be the same. And what, and what you, and it's, and it's, it's almost kind of, it's like, you can see it that they're as addicted to intervening and the family structure, they're inter, they're, they're addicted to that addicted person. And this is where this codependency comes in is that it's both sides and that setting those boundaries is a really good first step. It's like, you know what? I bailed you out mm -hmm. 25 times, but bailing you out isn't helping you and we right. love you. So bailing you out isn't going to be a solution for us or for you moving forward. It's not that we don't love you, but we're not going to be able to do this. So, right? so and I right. love, and then providing them the solution. But if you'd like to not be in this, we can do this, right? Mm. I love that because it's this identification and you see, right, Christina, like when you're working with people, you see the family system start to shift when they realize, oh my gosh, I have to recover from the dysfunction that they are most, most times in most times leading and orchestrating. Well, I mean, if you actually, I mean, we, we have, you know, uh, very, very good studies that show that often, and this is going to blow your mind, the alcoholic um, has sacrificed themselves because there's been other traumas that the, that the family could get together and worry about the alcoholic and not have to, let's say, grieve. They, they, they can show like in times of war or natural disaster, populations becoming more alcoholic because simply the alcoholic decided, well, if I do this, at least they're not thinking about that. And that might sound crazy, but data shows that it's absolutely true that and somewhere in your five generation lineage, you know, that there was a trauma that one alcoholic um, decided to sacrifice themselves for the family and then growing up in an alcoholic home brought more alcoholism to the family. That's very, very interesting. And I think, you know, in, in, in looking at this, I think it's, it's, I, I think one of the things, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this on a podcast or a replay and you are that person that's dealing with the addicted family member, I think the biggest thing for me, and I'll just have gone through this, right? I've had, I've had alcoholics in my family yes. um, and friends that have been alcoholics in recovery. Okay. And then not in recovery before <laughs> when I was, before I got to recover, right? I was that person and had family members that do this. So I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway that I've learned from just being a recovered person and working with other people, helping them get into recovery is that the family member, the per if you're dealing with a family member that has an addiction problem, you need to get to a place where you're okay, even if they don't change. And I think it's that acceptance of like, you know what, I'm going to get to a healthy place, even if they don't change. That, that, now, that doesn't mean, Christina, that it's not painful to watch 
people go through that or it's not frustrating or you might not get mad at that person for not waking up, right? Wake up, wake up. It's so horrible what's going on. But you, I think as the family, as the person that's dealing with it, you have to get to a place where you are in acceptance of the fact that this might never change. Right, right. And that sounds horrifying to a parent, to a partner, because the person that you love. But once you get to that point, once you get to that place, it it, it is possibly the one thing that will uh, will break the cycle of addiction for the other person. And it's so hard if you don't have help. I mean, that's one of the the major parts of my business is supporting other, you know, family members and partners. And it feels insane that they need me the most. And now I'm going to focus on myself, but we have to break that cycle of codependency. And uh, the person that has access to all of their brain function is usually the most powerful person in the relationship. I mean, you hear these, we hear these crazy stories all the time about even people who have long-term recovery, might have a kid who has an alcohol or drug problem and they're doing drugs in the house and the parents are saying, no, it's, you know, I'd rather have them do it here. It's totally, you know, and they're sacrificing themselves and other kids are literally, and I've seen this other kids and other family members are literally being shredded, right? Really bad ramifications on, on family members, but yet they feel that they need to sacrifice everything in order to put up with this person's addiction, whether Mm -hmm. or not they get sober. Absolutely. And and it's frightening. Um, But, you know, uh, my program, and I know yours does, includes a spiritual, uh, you know, part, a compartment of it. And so that's when we have to stop playing the higher power of our loved ones and actually allow them to have their own relationship with a higher power. And this I've is seen such miracles. A great, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talk about this all the time, Christine. It's like there is hope, right? But I think, like, my big takeaway after thinking about this segment, right, just talking with you about this, is that really it's about acceptance. I think for family members mm-hmm. is just accepting that this is the way that it is, and that like, what is their role in it? Right. Like so few people ask that are trying to get pet. Like, what's my role? It's like, oh, I've kind of enabled this or I didn't really communicate effectively how I feel about it to people. Right. I think, you know, communication, which I think is the final thing here in these in, in, in the setting boundaries is so difficult in families that have suffered from addiction. <laughs> Absolutely. These these uh, methods, these systems, the family system roles have been going on long before that person took the first drink. Yes, yes. Uh, this has been such a great segment. So if you are, you know, look, if you're dealing with somebody uh, in the family that uh, has addiction problems, you know, hopefully this segment will help you as kind of a guide, a guideline about kind of what not to do, right? Right. Yes, some things to do, but what not to do. And, you know, and I think the other thing is too, is that there's hope. Many people do and can recover, right? And they do recover. So um, it, it might not happen the first go around. It might happen the second, third, fourth, fifth, whatever time. But yeah. people do recover. So I think you need to be open that people do change, but then also have a structure where you can take care of yourself, set these healthy boundaries, and live a happy life. 
Yes, yes. And, and there is hope. When a family goes into recovery with an addict and actually has a plan, the numbers go up to like 85%. If you can stay for six months working a program next to your addict, they have a much bigger chance. And the addiction actually becomes a gift because the family heals together. Well, Christina, this has been a great Recovered Life show. I've really enjoyed it. Two really amazing segments here. Um, I, I do want to mention, like, if you're listening to this episode, we talked a lot about codependency. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to mention Christina has a free three-day challenge at Recovered Life that you can download. You can get totally for free. You can access it. And it's a great primer to setting healthy boundaries. And yes. it's so much about that. And if you guys go to info.recoveredlife.us, you could see it setting healthy boundaries there. And Christina walks you through in these amazing videos. I have to say, Christina, they're oh, really amazing. You. you know, three videos that are sent right to you privately that you can access that are going to help you start to set healthy boundaries. And you can get uh, Can't Say No by going to info.recoveredlife.us. That's info.recoveredlife.us. Christina. All right. Episode 103, Wednesday, April 27, 2022, in the can. We'll yes. See everybody Friday. Have a beautiful day. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.